Why did the president help incite the riot that killed five people at the Capitol? It may be because four days earlier, he failed to get the state of Georgia to take away Joe Biden's victory. A week ago, Saturday, Georgia's top election official, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, spent an hour on the phone listening to the president lie and threaten. Mr. Trump spun tales of fraud and told Raffensperger he needed to find 11,780 votes, one more vote than Biden's winning margin in the state. Raffensperger is a lifelong Republican, voted for Mr. Trump, and contributed to his campaign. But facing the president's wrath, he would not choose loyalty over duty. What a guy. What a guy. I mean, I guess if you talk, if I talk like Scott Pelley, will you believe me that he is, uh, has an opinion that might not be true? Scott Pelley is, uh, has done a lot of damage through the years, and so has 60 Minutes in reporting things that aren't true. They are, they're just, but people, some people just love them. But look, here's the thing. We want to talk about this today. The fourth uh, indictment just came down just in the last week on President Trump. Uh, the fourth indictment, in many ways more damaging than any of the others, and more lawless for sure. We're going to talk about that with someone from Georgia, someone who's connected to the Justice Department who knows the law backwards and forwards on uh, the election. Uh, Hansban Spakovsky is our guest today, and he's going to explain to us what this indictment from Fannie Willis actually means. It's fascinating, and it's also dangerous. Uh, it's also dangerous. So, And it's dangerous that someone like Scott Pelley uh, gets on the air and tells, uh, just spins the tale. Speaking of spin, they're spinning this. You know, I just have to say before I start, this this phone call with Brad Raffensperger and uh, President Trump that they've played over and over again. They play, what, 30 seconds of it, where President Trump says, we just need to find, gentlemen, I just need you to find 11,780 votes is out of context. Cleta Mitchell was on that call. Cleta was our guest. Uh, She's one of President Trump's attorneys. She's an election expert. Uh, She certainly has has an incredible reputation for integrity. Cleta does, by the way. And they were discussing in that phone call with uh, Brad Raffensperger's team of uh, this discrepancy in the voting numbers and the, the incidences of voter malfeasance that Cleta and the rest of her team had come up with in Fulton County. They were discussing that. They were laying out the numbers. And that's why when President Trump said, I just need you to find 11,780 votes, he's not talking about going out and finding illegal votes. He's saying of all those discrepancies, of all those people that voted, moved out of the state and changed their residency and still voted here, of those votes, of these kinds of votes, can't we find out of that segment of votes 11,780 votes, that's what he's saying. But according to Scott Pelley and the media, President Trump was trying to talk Brad Raffensperger into finding 11,780 votes that didn't exist. That's what the left does. That's not what President Trump was trying to do. So we hope to make that clear in this conversation, among other things. It's important. It really, really will affect all of us because it affects attorney-client privilege, which even though you may never have hired an an attorney, you may need to. You may need to defend your children at some point and hire an attorney. What if they cannot defend your child if there's any guilt on their part? What if that happens and you can't find someone to defend you because they're afraid that if your child is guilty, if you're guilty of some malfeasance on on the road or a traffic accident, that they too will be charged for that crime? 
And that's exactly the principle that's at work here with this indictment. We'll talk about it in just a second. If you want to uh, call us about this, some of you may be, if you're a constitutional scholar out there, no, if you're just listening and you have a question about this discussion, you can call us at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. Or you can go to sandy at afr.net, sandy at afr.net. You know you can listen to us at Apple or Spotify or Amazon or at our home base, which is afr.net. I just want to give a shout-out to Preborn, who are our most valuable sponsors. Uh, You know, Planned Parenthood rakes in millions of dollars, while Preborn doesn't get any federal money. They just take uh, the money that people like you send and use it wisely. And you know they buy... Uh, pay for ultrasounds. That's what you're paying for when you give $28. It's one ultrasound for a woman who finds herself in a crisis pregnancy. It's a chance for her to actually see her baby before she gives birth to that baby. It can tell her the gender. She can watch. Sometimes it's sucking its thumb. I had that experience uh, with an ultrasound for my son. It was just so sweet, powerful moment. And those powerful moments are what make women change their minds Over half of them do once they see these ultrasounds. This is a great way to save life. This is a great way to save life. If you have not done it yet, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash. Well, this is a good day to just uh, take out a pen and paper and sit back and uh, take this all in because this is going to be unfolding uh, as in the next several weeks and really for the next several months What is happening in Georgia, and what's the truth of it? So uh, sit back and listen to this interview with Hans von Spakovsky on Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. 
subsequent to the indictment, as is the normal process in Georgia law, the, the grand jury issued arrest warrants for those who are charged. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday, the 25th day of August, 2023. Okay, Sandy Rios with you. That's the lovely, lovely voice of Fannie Willis. Uh, no matter what your side on, uh, what side you are on in this, it sometimes people have this grading approach. So Fannie definitely has that. This is happening right now where these 18 defendants, including President Trump, have to appear in Fulton County. And in the, I, my understanding is this is the fourth, of course, indictment of President Trump, and it's the one in which he may be fingerprinted with a mugshot. Now, isn't that delightful? But is this legitimate? I know you've heard a lot of discussion about it in the last few weeks, uh, but we're going to revisit it this morning with someone who is not only an expert in the law, but someone who's an expert in the state of Georgia. He's a good friend of mine, but he's probably new to the podcast. His name is Hans von Spakowski. He is the manager of the Election Law Reform uh, Initiative at Heritage Foundation and also senior legal fellow. He has a great writer, understands constitutional law, and he joins us today. Good morning, Hans. Good morning, Sandy. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, before we start into the legal part of this, because we're going to do that, uh, but I want to know, honestly, Hans, I've known for years you're from Georgia, but I really don't know what that means. Were you involved in Georgia politics and law? What is your connection with the state of Georgia? Well, I practiced law in Georgia for many years. I'm licensed to practice in Georgia. Not only that, but I know election law very well there because for five years, I actually was on the county election board in Fulton County, where Fannie Willis is the DA. In fact, I was uh, vice chairman of that uh, uh, basically board. That ran elections in the city, so I, I and the county. So I, I basically know elections very well there, and I'm the first to tell you that this is not a legitimate indictment. And Sandy, what people have to do is look. It doesn't matter whether you like Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump. It doesn't matter whether you're a conservative or a liberal. It doesn't matter whether the claim that he made about the 2020 election being stolen. You know, his belief that illegal votes had been uh, counted and the votes of legitimate voters had not been counted in places like Georgia. None of that matters because all of the activities that Fannie Willis is indicting him for were activities perfectly legitimate and legal and protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, let's talk about that because, uh, you know, there is some, Hans, it's overwhelming, you know, for those those of us in the media, and I'm sure it's probably a little overwhelming for those of you in the law uh, because of, it's coming like, I feel like the, the news, the, the events are accelerating every single day. It's very hard to keep it straight, so it's very hard for regular people, almost impossible for them to keep this straight. So just in general... This is the fourth indictment against Trump. Of course, it includes 18 other people. And we're going to get to that because some of them are friends uh, that we know well. Uh, and so their lives are being terribly affected, too. But in terms of all this series of indictments, how does this one stack up? Is it more serious in its implications? Is it uh, what, How would you assess it compared to the others? 
Oh, it, it's very serious in terms of the danger it poses to the defendants in this case, particularly because, look, th- this case was filed by a very partisan Democrat in a very partisan county. And the problem that all these defendants have is that their ability to get an objective nonpartisan jury is virtually impossible in Fulton County, a county that overwhelmingly voted for uh, Joe Biden. So, you know, they could get convicted despite the the lack of facts and the lack of the law. And people need to understand what's going on here. It's a hundred page indictment. Fannie Willis goes through and lists all these acts. She calls them acts, like 160 of them, that she claims every single one of these acts was an off unlawful action in furtherance of a criminal conspiracy. Um, the very first act she lists is a publicly televised national speech, a speech that Trump gave on November 4th, in which he made his claims about the 2020 election. I'm sorry, but under no possible circumstances can a public speech like that be considered an unlawful act. That is, that is protected under the First Amendment. She makes similar ridiculous claims about public tweets, tweets sent out by the president and others. And again, I want to give an example to show you how how crazy this indictment is. Um, One of the acts, and remember, this is a supposedly unlawful act in furtherance of a criminal conspiracy, is the president sending out a tweet in December of 2020 saying, oh, I'm watching the televised coverage of the hearings being held by the Georgia legislature into what happened in the 2020 election amazing exclamation point so telling people that he's watching public hearings she says is an illegal act that that is such a violation of the first amendment it tells you just how um uh, spurious this indictment is well that's and that's just the beginning i mean that's a beginning uh, of what she has said it really is breathtaking hans and of course i want to leap to the question that i want to ask you uh I'll just plant the seed. I, I just don't understand how this can be. How can this be? How can a prosecutor who can barely pronounce the, the words, and I mean she 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 stumbles in her announcement uh, to to even to even iterate what she's trying to say, and what she's trying to say makes no sense. We're going to make that point. Um, how in the world is there no stopgap for this? How is there no legal stopgap for something happening that's so serious against a former president of the United States and people who have uh, held positions like I think of Jeff Clark, uh, who had a had an official duty to perform, was perfectly within his rights to do what he did? How can this be, Hans? How can it be so lawless? Well, one of the problems you have is that um, you don't have any state court judges putting a check on her, uh, and you don't have a bar association that's willing to do either. L- let me tell you who she reminds me of. Um, you may recall this, but about a decade ago, remember there was a local 
prosecutor in North Carolina, a guy named uh, Michael Nifog, and he was just as politically ambitious as Fannie Willis is. Look, you got to understand, Fannie Willis, before this, was an obscure, unknown local county prosecutor. She sees this prosecution as her ticket to national prominence. Um, Nifong, 10 years ago, was the guy who brought that spurious rape prosecution against members of the Duke lacrosse team. He knew, he knew it was a false story, that this story had been fabricated. He pursued it anyway because he also saw it as a way of getting national prominence, which it did, and helping his election efforts. He eventually was found out, and he was disbarred by the State Bar Association, but not before he caused huge problems for these uh, Duke lacrosse players who had been hit with a spurious prosecution. That's the same situation that's that's going on here. Can I give another example of just how nutty her, her prosecution yes, is? Yes, yes, I want to do, I yes, I want to go back to that. Oh, could I, let me, let me interject something, because you just made sure. that point. We're hearing... Uh, there's a the, out of Georgia that Fannie Willis is also already starting a whisper campaign that she wants the Democratic nomination for governor. So that to prove, I mean, that's a whisper campaign, and you know maybe it's just not true. But we are hearing that, and that kind of proves the point you just said. All right, give us a yeah, listen. That, I know you're going to talk about surprise me at all. <laughs> you're going to okay. talk about yeah. Rico, right? You're going to talk about Rico. Yeah. Um, look, the other big part of her indictment is saying that the efforts that Donald Trump made and folks working with him to speak to state legislators and state officials trying to convince them that the election had been stolen and setting up an alternative slate of contingent electors for Trump who would be available if, if state officials determined that, in fact, yeah, the election had been invalidly um, uh, concluded, and in fact, Trump had won. These electors would be available to then have their votes sent to Congress. She says that also was an unlawful action, a part of this criminal conspiracy. Well, again, the problem with that is that, uh, look, an often overlooked part of the First Amendment, yeah, we, we all have a freedom to speak, uh, but we also have a right to petition the government for redress of grievances. That is that is the language straight out of the First Amendment. What does that mean? It means that you, me, Donald Trump, all have a right to speak to, to petition, to criticize, and to try to persuade government officials to take care of a problem, to, to, to remedy a grievance. So again... She's claiming that actions he took that are protected under the First Amendment were illegal. And again, that's just wrong. Well, and Hans, we have this happening, you know, all, all around and it's Michigan. I think they're trying in Arizona, trying to prosecute uh, these electors for the very reasons you just talked about, that somehow they're criminal. Uh, that's a criminal act when it is, has been done many times in our history it's been standard fare. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's not egregious. It's not illegal. And yet, just saying it makes it so for the left. They just say something, and that's supposed to be, uh, the you know, gospel truth. And I, the problem is that people are so ignorant now. They don't know the Constitution. 
and they don't even they don't even recognize even on the first amendment issue i know you know all of this it's breathtaking how americans especially our young people have no idea what the freedom of speech means or that there's a guarantee to political speech or to the redress of grievances uh, and so we're this is part of the reason i'm i can answer my own question we're finding ourselves in this situation now, the last time I heard of RICO, which is this Racketeering um, Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, it was you know written to address mob activity. And Hans, you might remember this, but Joe Scheidler was a very good friend of mine. Joe was the founder of Pro-Life Action League, and the National Organization for Women charged him with racketeering uh, 25 years ago, I'm guessing, when I was still in Chicago. Uh, Joe was a good friend. I goes went to the you know the federal courthouse and listened to Pat I Patricia Ireland of National Organization for Women talk about how they're going to take Joe's house take his uh, his car you know destroy his life basically and they had said the problem was because Joe was standing outside of clinics along with his other people his people uh, and preventing commerce from taking place he had taken money from them and that's that was their argument how in the world is Fanny Willis applying RICO to these defendants. Well, it's it's she's abusing the law in the same way of this case you were just talking about. Um, RICO was this law developed uh, in the 1970s. Uh, they first passed at the federal level, then the state level, and it was intended to be used against mob operations, mafia organizations, and dangerous drug cartels. Uh, it, it, this, it being used by organizations like now, and particularly a local prosecutor like this, is an abuse of the law that it was not intended to do. And think about the fact that Fannie Willis said this in, in the portion of the press conference you played. Listen, she's just a county prosecutor. Her jurisdiction doesn't extend outside of Fulton County, which is the area uh, surrounding Atlanta. And yet, if you read through her indictment, she's talking about illegal acts that occurred not only in other parts of Georgia, but other states. She mentions Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan. And I'm sure that the attorney generals in those states would be very surprised to learn that this local prosecutor that they've never heard of in Atlanta is claiming to have criminal jurisdiction over things that happened in their state. Well, you make the point, and I should say, uh, Hans, you've, made a, you've written a great article about this uh, where you call uh, Fannie Willis's, uh, you know, our orbit in Georgia, the Star Chamber, the Georgia Star Chamber. Oh, well, that's a great right. headline. Yeah, it's, it's in the Daily Signal. We'll put this on our Facebook page, by the way. Uh, but... Um, uh, so you make the point that Stacey Abrams lost, you know, to uh, what uh, Brian Kemp governor's race. At, in the governor's race. And she made, you know, she made her bones claiming that that race when Brian Kemp won was stolen from her, and that she was the true. Right. And she didn't even come close, did she? No, she did not. And she has made dozens, dozens of public statements that she actually won those races, that she had her election stolen from, from her. The exact same behavior that the Fulton County DA is complaining about and says is unlawful, but of course, <laughs> there's been no indictment filed against her. Look, the other thing in this case, 
that is just outrageous is, look, it's not just an attack on the First Amendment. It's an attack on the way our legal system works because uh, many of the other defendants in the cases are Trump's lawyers. Mm. Lawyers in Georgia and every other state under the professional code of conduct that governs them, they have a duty and obligation to vigorously defend their clients and present their clients' claims. And yet they've been indicted for doing exactly that, representing him in court, representing him before the state legislature when they were conducting uh, hearings. I, I, I mean, uh, this is an attack on the way the legal system works. And under her, her bizarre theory, any lawyer, for example, a criminal defense lawyer, who defends a lawyer, uh, defends a, a client, and the client is later found guilty, well, by having tried to defend him and present that, that defendant's claims, they, they're guilty of a, of a conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy with their client. Yeah, I don't, we need to sort of, uh, let's explain that. You live in the legal world, I'm married to an attorney, so we know this a little bit, but the real repercussions of that for people are to understand that when you go, when you've done something wrong, let's say you did, you, you do, had a car accident, let's make it really approachable, and you were in at fault, and you you are facing some liability, and you go hire an attorney. He's going to advise you on how what the best situation, best scenario, how to argue your case is in order to get you the very best outcome in the courtroom. But if you're guilty, I guess under this understanding, under Fanny Willis's understanding, you could be prosecuted if your client's guilty. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's that's exactly correct, and. And she's also saying that if you present claims as a lawyer that later turn out to, to be wrong, or a court says that, well, your theory of the law, no, we don't agree with that, uh, you've committed a crime by doing that. And our legal system can't operate under that kind of a view. Um, I know there's lots of people out there that don't like lawyers, but if you can't get legal representation when you're being pro- prosecuted or you're in a civil lawsuit, you're going to be in big trouble. And that's the road down which Fannie Willis is leading us. Yeah, you know, that, of course, makes me think of John Eastman, who um, we both know, and I've had him on the show many times. And John is, they're trying to take away his license uh, because he defended and presented the constitutional argument. It was his view of the constitutional right. Uh, clause on, uh, on on electors and the vice president's role in that. So he gave uh, the president his best advice on that, and he felt that uh, Mike Pence could have delayed the proceedings a little bit, that he had perfect right to do that. It was not unconstitutional. And so for that, John is being punished. They want to take away his law license. And actually, there there is a whole project aimed at taking away the license of any lawyers that defend President Trump. I forgot what the number, 65? I think it's a 65 project. What do you know about that, Hans? Yeah, that is also one of the most outrageous uh, and dangerous. That's a conspiracy because they want to make it impossible for someone who is unpopular with the left to have legal representation. Contrast that, Sandy, with how the big law firm place people in uh, firms in New York, Washington, pro bono offered legal help to the uh, 
terrorists at Guantanamo Bay <laughs> after they killed 3,000 Americans. They went down there to defend them. They were treated as heroes. And yet people who were representing a president of the United States are being told that uh, they are criminals and they need to have their licenses taken away for doing what? For doing what they were supposed to do, which is represent their client. You know, to stay on this for just a second more and make a point that you did make, but I want to go back to it. 18 attorneys general uh, actually joined in. They wanted, they felt that things in their state had not gone well in the election. There were really serious, egregious breaches of law, breaches of process, uh, ignoring of the law, all of this, uh, depending on the state. So 18 attorneys general tried to do something about it. And so you are you are you really alleging that she is saying that they were engaging in conspiracy under the RICO law? Does she say that in this indictment? She doesn't, but that's the implication of what she's saying, because the whole basis of her lawsuit is that when Donald Trump and his advisors and others were making claims about the election having been stolen, about there being irregularities in the way elections were being conducted in various states, she says they knew, they knew that those claims they were making were false. Okay, well, the problem with that is that Texas filed a lawsuit uh, try to file a lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court asking for permission to sue those other states because they also believe, the Texas believe, that there had been irregularities in those states, and they were joined in an amicus brief by over a dozen and a half other states. So you had 18 states saying, no, we, we believe that these claims about the 2020 election are uh, legitimate, and they need to be investigated. But she's saying, therefore, well, since Donald Trump knew those claims were false, she's also must be saying that those 18 uh, attorney generals were also presenting claims that they knew were false to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, she must love the number 18, right? Because uh, she's uh, she's indicted 18 others, I guess others in addition to President Trump, they're going to have to pay bond. They're going to have to have, I suppose, mugshots. Why in this case, is it because of the RICO charge that they would have mugshots and fingerprints, that the president has to go through that this week? No, it's because this is a a political persecution by her. That, that's why this is, that's why okay. this is happening. And okay. people shouldn't forget to show you how nutty the members of this grand jury are. Remember, was it six months ago? The head of the grand jury, this young woman, went on TV. She was interviewed at MSNBC, CNN, and she was a complete goofball. She was laughing about and talk about how great it was that they were able to call all these famous people in front of the grand jury. I mean, she clearly saw this whole grand jury process as a lark. And that tells you how unserious this grand jury was and how they clearly don't understand or, frankly, have contempt for the First Amendment and the fact that they have uh, completely overridden the First Amendment rights of Donald Trump and these others. And for those who don't like Trump and are cheering this along, 
they should think about the fact that this is the same thing that could be done to liberals speaking out by some Republican prosecutor. Yeah, a precedent is being set, no question about it. Now I want to ask you about something else. I know you've given, I'm sure, you've given this a lot of thought. Uh, The Monday that this indictment came out uh, in the evening, uh, earlier in that day, the Fulton County Clerk of Courts, uh, Shea Alexander, uh, uh, well, somehow, uh, mysteriously, on the website, an indictment appeared. And Shea Alexander is the Fulton County Clerk of the Courts. She was interviewed just recently defending herself for that little mistake. And I want you to hear what she has to say. This is Shay Alexander. Shay Alexander says she was under a lot of pressure to make sure this process went smoothly. There were no hiccups. She says in trying to be perfect, she made a mistake. And instead of hitting, hit, hitting save, she hit send. I am human. Fulton County Clerk of Court Shea Alexander says even though she's human, she strives for perfection. And that's how the mishap happened. The mishap was she inadvertently posted the indictment charges against former President Donald Trump, even though the grand jury was still deliberating Monday. That set off a media firestorm and had Trump's attorneys saying prosecutors had no respect for the grand jury process. Alexander said this had nothing to do with the DA's office and there was nothing sinister about the mistake she made. I have no dog in the fight. She says in an effort to handle the indictment perfectly, she messed up. I did a work sample in the system and when I hit save, it went to the press queue. Some news reporters saw it before it was deleted. Alexander says what they saw was unofficial. It wasn't an official document. It wasn't official charges. It was the dry run. It was a work sample. It was a mistake, a mishap, Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, Just an oops. Do you buy that? Oh, I think she made a mistake, but... But that's not the issue here. The issue here is that what she posted turned out to be identical to the actual indictment that then came out. And that tells you that the grand jurors were unthinking minions who just rubber stamped what Fannie Willis told them to rubber stamp. And that says a lot about, you know, there's the old adage about how a a corrupt or bad... um, DA can get a, a a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich, and that's exactly the situation you had here. So, and just so in plain language, they had not finished deliberating. The jury, the grand jury, is supposed to be still listening to this evidence and trying to decide if Fannie Willis has, you know, if this is right, and the charges she's bringing make sense, you know, weighed with the evidence, and they haven't even voted yet, and this is already decided. And the reason we know it's already decided is because it's identical to what is actually released when Fannie Willis claims the grand jury embraced, endorsed, voted on this uh, several hours later. I think that's the, and of course, that's not the point that that reporter makes, and people think, oh, you know, she just made, the church lady just made a mistake. That's kind of, I'm sorry, I'm, that's the way I took it, and um I, I want to go back to something else, Hans. I know this is not uh, like this is not what you can do in a court of law, but as a Georgian and as a person who's an expert in Georgia law, in your own words, what do you think went wrong in Georgia? I mean, what what is quantifiable? 
Do you have it in your head, you know, that you can share with us? As you watched what happened in Georgia, what do you think was really malfeasance or neglect or incompetence? I think you had a politically ambitious uh, local DA who sees this case as a ticket to national prominence, and you have no uh, local judges who are willing to curb her misbehavior, and you have uh, a state office. It's called the uh, Prosecuting Attorneys Council. This is the state office that is supposed to regulate um, prosecutors across the state, uh, instead of regulating prosecutors and going after abusive prosecutors, they act more like the union for the prosecutors to protect them. And I think that's also what's going on here. No one is willing to do what they should be doing, which is going after an abusive prosecutor. One of the most famous moments, at least uh, from the left and from the media, is that President Trump's phone call with Brad Raffensperger. Now, it wasn't just him and Brad Raffensperger. I think it was Brian Kemp. It was Cleta Mitchell. Uh, it was other people, and they were laying out, according to Cleta, and I listened to a lot of it, they were laying out the discrepancies in voting. They were laying out the problems. They laid them out with numbers, and they were trying to encourage Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, his team, to share, if they if they didn't agree with the numbers that Cleta had found, what were their numbers? And they would never come together on that. And that's what led President Trump to say, I just need 11,780 votes. He was ta- They'd already been talking about, we, there's 4,000 missing here, there's 5,000. You know, they've been talking in terms of that. But there's one point in this conversation that I want to play for you because I, I'm curious about your thoughts about this. Uh, I'll, I'll just play it. This is clip three. Uh, This is President Trump uh, talking at this point. He's back and forth with Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State. Let's listen. So you send us into Cobb County for uh, signature verification, right? You send us into Cobb County, which we didn't want to go into. uh, And you said it would be open to the public and we could have our... So we had our experts there. They weren't allowed into the room. But we didn't want Cobb County. We wanted Fulton County. And you wouldn't give it to us. Now, why aren't we doing signature, and why can't it be open to the public, and why can't we have professionals do it instead of rank amateurs that will never find anything and, and don't want to find anything? They don't want to find You know they don't want to find anything. Someday you'll tell me the reason why, because I don't understand your reasoning, but someday you'll tell me the reason why. But why don't you want to find it? Cobb County. Why don't we you want to find County. What? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, why did, why, okay, so why did you do Cobb County? We didn't even request, we requested Fulton County, not Cobb County. Well, Mr. President, we, we did have Cobb our election contest. Yeah, go ahead, please, Cobb go County. ahead. We chose Cobb County because that was the only county where there's been any evidence submitted that the signature verification was not properly done. All right, so uh, that's just a, you know, it's not fair to lift little portions of a phone call out. That's what the left does uh, to prove uh, allegedly prove uh, Trump was trying to get Brad Raffensperger to find illegal votes, and that's not what he was saying. And we could lift things out in the same way, but that's confusing to me, Hans. I never understood how it was that in the recount or in the challenge, uh, they did ask for the numbers in Fulton. Fulton is the one that, you know, Fannie Willis is the county district attorney. That's the county we're talking about. It's where um, I think a lot of the suspected malfeasance took place. Why would Brad Raffensperger or his team not give them access to Fulton, but give them a county they didn't even ask for? 
Is there any reasonable reason for that? No, and in fact, under the rules, the laws in Georgia governing uh, the transparency of elections, uh, poll watchers, people appointed by the political parties and the candidates, have a right to see every aspect of the election process. And there should have been observers for uh, President Trump, actually for Biden, for the both political parties. They had a right to observe, for example, the signature comparison process going on on absentee ballots in every single county in the state. And any state officials who were preventing that, in my opinion, were violating Georgia law. Well, of course, we have to point out that uh, charges were brought against these officials and the courts refused to hear them. It's been the, that was the pattern all right. over the country. Courts just wouldn't. And, of course, the, the, the line for the left and for the media is, uh, oh, you know, the courts didn't figure there was anything there, so they would not hear it. And that's not true. They just even the Supreme Court would not even stop and pause and uh, and look at the evidence, and that was the huge problem. Now, in this case, Fannie brings this, and now it's all the attention in the world paid to the other side yet once again. I want to talk to you before we, before we uh, conclude, Hans, I want to talk to you about the bond agreement with President Trump. I think it's around uh, $200,000, and there are terms uh, under the consent bond order. He can't Okay, this is what I'm reading. He can't perform any acts of witness intimidation or communicate directly or indirectly about the facts of the case with any co-defendants except through his attorneys. Now, Eastman has a similar situation. He can't talk to anybody else that's being uh, charged, none of the other other 18. Does that that make sense? Is that normal procedure? No, that that makes no sense whatsoever. I I don't understand why they would require a former president of the United States to post a bond. And since she's charging all uh, of the defendants as being part of a conspiracy, and she wants to try them all at the same time, the idea that they're, they can't talk to each other to defend the case, I, I think violates their basic due process rights. And again, is, is an abusive uh, uh, tactic that um, shouldn't be going on. Okay, so how's this going to play out? I mean, um, this is the fourth indictment. This is the one uh, that'll get the mugshot for Trump. Uh, it's going to, and of course, we already know we could go through the dates of these trials. They're 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 uh, scheduled strategically during the election cycle to hurt President Trump. There's just no. That's not a uh, an assumption. That's just as plain as day. And so. It's all political, but what stops this? Can anything along the way stop this, Hans? Well, a a court stepping in the way they should could, but I just don't think that's going to happen. The the judges in the state have not shown much courage, uh, as you discussed in doing it. So I think we're going to have a extremely messy. Uh, trial full of headlines. Um, I think you're going to get a biased jury hearing the case. And I think the only real remedy, unfortunately, that many of the defendants have uh, is going to be on appeal. Yeah. So is that the Fifth Circuit in uh, Georgia? 
No, it's in it's state court, so their their appeals will be to the state oh, court of appeals, then okay. to the Georgia state Supreme Court. Oh, and if they can't get satisfaction there, if they have a federal issue, if they are claiming, for example, that their conviction violates the U.S. Constitution as the First Amendment, then they potentially have an appeal to federal courts. But of course, that takes years. Uh, and and, and I money resources. Uh, this is called lawfare. You and I both know this is lawfare. This is destroying people by the process, bleeding them dry financially, harming their families because of the disruption. Take and it does take their homes. It takes everything, all their resources. It is disgraceful. It's disgusting. And um, Hans, <laughs> uh, so I'm leaving on such a hopeless note. Do you see any hope, honestly? Is there any bright star in this ever, anywhere? I I think the bright only bright star would be on appeal, uh, similar to what happened when Jack Smith, the federal special prosecutor who's gone after um, Donald Trump with federal indictments in D.C., you know, he tried to do the same thing a decade ago against Robert McDonald, the uh, Republican governor of Virginia. He got his conviction, but when it got appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court threw out Jack Smith's case 9-0, to zero, saying he had abused federal law and gone far beyond what the law uh, uh, required. And I think that's going to be what's going to happen in this case. Yeah, I think so. We live long enough to see it. Uh, but let me commend again to you, uh, to you, Hans's article, The Destruction of Rule of Law in Fannie Willis, Georgia, Star Chamber. I love that moniker. Hans von Spakovsky of Heritage Foundation. Hans, thank you so much for your expertise and for joining us today on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. I, I want to remind you, this is a time of enrollment for many health care services, and uh, Christian Health Ministries is our new sponsor. This is their enrollment period. And the, why would you want to do that? Because you might be unhappy with your premiums. They might be going up again, or they might be kind of a burden to your family. There are different levels of coverage with Christian Health Ministries. And, of course, it is a sharing ministry where you, you pay your premium and then you help pay for the bills of others while they help pay for your bills when you have them. Uh, so it works very differently than insurance. But you can, in this case, and this is unique to Christian Health Ministries. You can keep your doctor or go to the doctor you want to see. I think that's huge. And so if it, if you're kind of wondering about your own coverage or want to compare, go to chministries.org. That's chministries.org. And make sure that you tell them that Sandy Rios sent you. It's chministries.org. I want to also remind you that you can reach us. You can leave us a message at 662 821 2040. That's 662-821-2040. You can listen to us on any podcast platform or you can go to sandyrios.com. If you've got, if you're recommending the show to people who maybe are podcast, uh, they're not used to podcasts. It's kind of a strange world to them. That's a real easy way to have them find it at sandyrios.com. Or you can find us on all the podcast platforms and especially on AFR.net, which is our home 
Page. Mr. President, the problem uh, you have with social media, they can people can say anything. No, I, no this isn't social media. This is Trump media. It's not social media. It's 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 really not. It's not social media. I don't care about social but I couldn't care less. Social media is big tech. Big tech is on your side, you know. I don't even know why you have a side, because you should want to have an accurate election. And you're a Republican. We believe that we do have an accurate election. No, I no you don't. No, no you don't. You don't have you don't have not even close. You got you're off by hundreds of thousands of votes. And just on the small numbers, you're off on these numbers. Yeah, so that was President Trump taking Raffensperger to task on that phone call. Uh, no wonder Brad Raffensperger was upset. You know, a lot of Republicans defended Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, and I always found it puzzling. But he's very convincing. He is a very convincing politician. He was reelected, actually, in Georgia in the next election. But we, uh, we presided over a horrible election. All of us saw that. In that big uh, counting area where they saw the ballots, you saw people. Remember they said that there was a water leak and they closed down the counting and then the cameras caught just a small group like a mom and her her daughter and maybe a couple of other people pulling out boxes from under the desks, which happened to have uh, ballots in them. Do you remember that? Yeah, but it was a fair election, says Brad Raffensperger. By the way, um, I don't know if this is – I'll just say this. I have no idea. Travis Tritt, how would he know this? He's a musician from Georgia, a country western singer from Georgia. He says, I have, he tweeted this, I have confidential sources in Georgia who told me that Brian Kemp was over $7 million in debt when he was elected as Georgia's governor in 2018. In 2019, Kemp cut a deal with the state of Georgia to select, uh, shall I mention, the dreaded Dominion who has sued everybody out of existence to provide its new statewide voting system. And now my sources tell me Kemp has never been in debt since that deal was done. Connect the dots. Now, I don't know if that's true. I have no way of knowing if that's true, but that's what people are saying. Um, also, I, at, at the time of this recording, I'm just seeing that John Eastman has just surrendered himself to authorities in Fulton County, and this is his statement. My legal team and I will vigorously contest every count of the indictment in which I am named, and also every count in which others are named, for which my knowledge of the relevant facts, law, and constitutional provisions may provide may prove helpful. I am confident that when the law is faithfully applied in this proceeding, all of my co-defendants and I will be fully vindicated. With that, um, I ask my sweetheart, Bruce, who is a former FBI agent, former federal prosecutor, to join me for just to talk about what we just heard. Bruce, this is amazing. I mean, this is really shocking. I, and even that there's no recourse, that shocks me too. Well, if you follow Fannie Willis's um, theory, this will be the end of the court system. Uh, whether that it be actuality or in spirit, this will end it. Because if you cannot go into court, a court is about settling disputes, differences of opinion. But if there's only one opinion allowed or else you're a criminal, then there's no point to having courts. Why would you bother? You know, there's a great montage. I wish I'd pulled it this morning. I, I will, maybe while this is all going on. But there's a, there are several montages of Democrats. Hillary Clinton, you could do a whole montage on her statements after the presidential election 2016 saying that she was one, that, that she had won. That President Trump was a, a, a fraud. He was a... Oh, what what did they what word did they use? He's not really the president. He's an illegitimate president. Illegitimate. They kept saying that. There were T-shirts yeah. with it. He's not my president. Exactly. And you know, I've heard it, 
over 30-minute compilation of Democrats, each one saying that the election of Trump was illegitimate. Yeah. And none of them have been charged. Uh, and they, cha- the and they, they challenged the electors. They mm-hmm. did all of that. Mm-hmm. They did exactly what happened here, only less lawfully, I would argue. You, yeah. you know, I can speak from personal experience um, as to how misapplied this RICO statute is being used in this case. When I was a, a, a FBI agent in Los Angeles, the, str- the street gangs were running wild. Uh, they committed over a thousand bank robberies one of the years I was out there. This was in the early 90s. And I had a, a boss who was the most dogmatic guy I've ever worked for. And he had tried to bring the street gangs under the umbrella of RICO to have them indicted as, re- as criminal organizations. And the United States Attorney's Office had told him, we will not do that because they do not have enough structure. Because that's what RICO is, is uh, aimed at, like people like the mafia, drug cartels, that have a structure where they have a hierarchy that gives the rules and sends out their soldiers to commit the crimes. And the problem was you could never get to the heads of these organizations because they were not actually committing the crimes. Their underlings were committing the crimes, but they were, get, they were getting the benefits from these crimes, the heads. So RICO was put into, um, was drafted to go after these kind of people. And my boss sent me to the U.S. Attorney's Office, even though they had w- already denied us uh, prosecuting these people because they said there wasn't enough structure. So he sent me back and I spent days, weeks getting ready to go to this meeting. I presented the whole thing to the U.S. Attorney's Office about the Bloods and the Crips and how there was an organization, how there was rank, how people had territories, how people had certain things like you you rob the banks, you you do street robberies, whatever. And they flat turned us down. And they looked at me like I was crazy, like we are not using RICO against a street gang. So think about now, fast forward to now, that this statute is being applied to a former president and a group of people who all, they're not related, they're not in an organization. All they've done is each one of them in certain ways has raised questions about the election, and that's it. You know, I I just want to give you an idea. Under that whole thing, one of the things they charged Mark Meadows with, he was President Trump's chief of staff. They, it's, it's listed as Act 8. He texted a message to Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania saying, asking him for the number for the speaker and the leader for the Pennsylvania legislature because POTUS wants to chat with them. They list that in the indictment, Bruce. That's his crime. Uh, so that's like part of the uh, RICO uh, conspiracy, I guess. It's just, it is bizarre, it's dangerous, and it's really distressing. Uh, but I think uh, one thing that is a uh, that is a hopeful thing that I we did not talk about with Hans, and I'll just mention it, and maybe we can talk about it at a longer time on a different day. But Georgia State Senator Colton Moore, who is the head of the Freedom Caucus in Georgia, is now demanding uh, a meeting of the legislature, the Georgia, Sle- Georgia legislature, to to rein this in. He basically said, "We're not going to sit by and watch this happen. This is just wrong." I don't know what the legislature can do, but he's uh, Colton. 
Moore, the uh, Georgia state senator, is uh, working on making that happen. So there are people trying to do something to counter this in Georgia. And so with that little bit of good news, I I just leave. Honey, thank you for, for joining me. Let me also, before I say goodbye to you, I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every single day they save 200 babies' lives, but they can't do it without your help, without my help, and that's why we do what we do. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, and sponsor an ultrasound or two ultrasounds, whatever you can do. I also want to thank Christian Healthcare Ministries. It's the longest-serving health cost-share ministry. It's been around over 40 years, helping Christians pay and pray for one another's medical bills. You can make that switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org. That's chministries.org. And tell them that Sandy Rios sent you. All right, well, that's all for today. I thank you so much for listening to today's version of Sandy Rios 24-7.